in this episode, we have a special interview today for you. Uh, we have Michael W. Lucas here again on the broadcast. So we get the latest news about his upcoming books, especially the new SNMP Mastery book and uh, some other stuff that he's been up to this year, especially his evil plan during BSD Can's auction, which was a good laugh for everyone. So enjoy the interview and we'll be back with a regular episode next week. ESD Now, episode 329, Lucas's Arts, recorded for the 18th of December 2019. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Treuschling. And I'm Alan Jew. So we have something special for you this week. Uh, not much news today, although we have more, of course, in future episodes. But this one is an interview with our author, uh, who has been on the show a couple of times now, Michael W. Lucas. But uh, the last time has been a couple months ago, so we thought we should do another one and get updates from what he's about to do in the next couple uh, months. So here's the interview. Enjoy. All right, we have an interview again with Michael W. Lucas, who is uh, a fairly frequent uh, interviewee now on the show. So glad to have him back because he always has new and interesting stuff. Uh, so welcome, Michael. Um, the first, well, the introductions are not necessary because people listening to the show uh, regularly are pretty much familiar with you. Um, but you released a new book uh, recently or since our last interview a couple months ago. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what has changed in that book? It's about pseudo, I hear. Yep. Well, uh, thanks for having me. And yes, the new book is, is a second edition of Pseudo Mastery. Pseudo hasn't undergone extensive changes unless you're using LDAP, but it's undergone a lot of minor changes. And so basically this edition was catching everything up on that and making sure that the information was accurate for today's Pseudo. And there have been some changes in the recommended, recommended configuration that I uh, went and really dove deeply into. Uh, for example, sudo has features like checksum verification to make sure a binary hasn't been tampered with. And, and of course, nobody is going to go and compute the checksum of every binary by hand, let alone update them whenever they're patched. So I did some scripting to walk popular operating systems and programmatically compute the checksum for everything. Oh, that's useful. And it, it can be. If, if you suspect your system is vulnerable to outside tampering, checksumming may be a solution for you. And there are some new tools out there there was, uh, they used to have a tool to transform a pseudoverse fire, file into LDAP format, which was handy and useful. But now they have a general tool to transform a pseudoverse to and from LDAP. 
and then to and from JSON. Mm-hmm. So you can put your pseudoers in any format you want. You can feed it to uh, your auditing program and make sure that everything is the way you want. And of course, it has a, a, a beautiful cover with uh, Beastie and Tux and Puffy and uh, the Minix Raccoon, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, tell us a little more about the, the different versions of the cover. Ah, well, if you, if you buy the ebook, you get a very nice cover of uh, it, it's based on one of the classic dogs playing poker. Um, and since people ask, yes, there's a reason one of the beasties is wearing a black turtleneck. And the reason another beastie is slipping him an ace. <laughs> if you get the paperback, you get a more complete version of that, and the art wraps around on the cover. And if you have the hardback, the dust jacket has art that continues on to the inside flap. So if you're looking for something pretty, uh, that book will do it. I'm, I'm really pleased with how it came out. Yeah, how are you going to escalate beyond that? You know, you started with really good cover art, and then cover art that wraps around onto the back cover as well. And now you have, like, cover art that comes in bigger and bigger and bigger sizes. <laughs> what are you going to do next? You know, that that's a good question, and I'm not sure. I've had, uh, I've been pondering what comes next. And in some ways, I'm not exactly at a loss because I have lots of ideas, but... I just finished a really huge project with the jails book. I, I had to write six books to write the jails book. Mm-hmm. And it was this giant project and everything was aimed at a particular destination. And, and I did, I did a couple little books on, on the side as I was churning through this, like Pam and whatnot. But I, I no longer have a master plan, and I'm I'm trying to come up with what I want to do as as an overarching goal next. And whatever I do for art, for books, what have you, will will feed into that. So I, I have some ideas. I'm I'm not asking the whole internet to send me their suggestions. <laughs> but, that might be uh, too late now. That sounds like a terrible idea. Uh, no, that would be absolutely terrible. Please don't do that. But I, I have some thoughts on things I could do with cover art, uh, just to amuse me, because that's what's really important here. For sure. I mean, I'm glad you all like the art, but if I can't write the book so that it amuses me, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. But uh, speaking of the jails book, I feel like it's really underappreciated. You know, I think almost everyone who uses FreeBSD would learn quite a bit from the jails book. Even people like me who've been using jails on FreeBSD for at least 15 years, there's still more stuff than all fits in my head in the book. Uh, What do you think were some of the most interesting or surprising things you learned while writing the jails book? Well, first, everything I know is wrong. That, that was first up. Uh, that was actually an interesting project for me because I've been using FreeBSD since n- late 95. And 
doing this forced me to go back and review everything I knew. And some things have changed since 1995. I learned a lot of little edge cases on file systems. Uh, you, you can really do some, some amazing things with like DevD uh, and even NullFS is, is useful. Uh, just how fine-grained some of the control you can have in jails now. I remember when System 5 IPC in a jail was simply not a thing. And now you can turn it on and off per jail and, and, and even turn on System 5 IPC features individually per jail. And that's something I, I know it was implemented because people needed it. But I'm I'm sort of afraid to find out why someone <laughs> needed System 5 shared memory, but not semaphores. Yeah, I think part of that was back in the past when the, the IPC namespace was all one. You maybe want a jail to be able to only see parts of it. Although we, a number of years ago when we finally got namespacing there so that you know, you could have Postgres in two different jails that wouldn't accidentally stomp on each other. It became maybe less of an issue. I, I thought that at first, but that feature evolved later. So th this was a this was some sort of design decision. I I trawled through twenty years of history, and and the order in which things happened really was illuminating. It, it's a great example of iterative development. I mean. Uh, Jails saved me a lot of pain back in 1999-2000. And they, they've just crept forward over the decades. I, I'd rather think that the... You, you said the book is unappreciated, but the, the people who've read it like it, uh, I learned a lot, I had fun, and that's what's important. And jails are hard, is the short answer. Yes. They are the culmination of everything in systems administration. You, you must know file systems. You must know upgrades. If you have a lot of jails, you really have to have some sort of orchestration or automation. This stuff gets very complicated very quickly. Because all of a sudden, you can run 500 virtual machines on one host. You have to manage 500 virtual machines on one host. And, and that's just terrible. Nobody wants to do that. Yeah, I think that was kind of my, my point about it being underappreciated is there's lots of people who uh, would really benefit from the book if they just knew that they would. <laughs> and so trying to convince them. Well, you know, I, I, I can't worry about that. Right. It's, uh, I never guess how well anything is going to sell. Well, you know, there's no point being wrong all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But yeah, it's unpredictable how many people uh, will grab the book and uh, or maybe pick it up uh, later when they uh, are in need of a, a jail. Yeah, it's it's out there. People will people who need it will find it. People who don't need it, well, they have a simpler life than the rest of us. Yeah. And good for them. Mm. But, you know, I've gone overboard with the the things you can do when you combine ZFS and jails together. 
Uh, to the point where you know I needed a system where customers need to be able to upload files via the website, but you know need to make sure they can only upload their own files and so on. And so we end up with this jail with the web server and stuff in it with ZFS datasets delegated into it and a bunch of magic uh, and a, um, uh, a mandatory access control module, which is a there's a boilerplate you grab and I added like six lines of code to it or whatever and made this one special user that's able to own files away from itself to other people so that after they upload the file, it ends up owned by the user who uploaded it. Um, but being able to have all that happen in a jail so it can only touch those files and can't, you know, run amok on my system uh, was really handy. Yes. Yes. Anything like that, you I would certainly put in a jail. And, and it's really anything that faces the public I want to put in a jail. Exactly. Like originally for us, it started as, oh, we need users to be able to connect with SSH or you know, use rsync or whatever to sync their video files up to our server. We would prefer they weren't running amok on the host. Right. But, you know, they each have their own data set, and I need to make sure they still have access to that. And then when we added automation so that when someone signs up, we automatically create the extra data sets for them and so on. It's like, well, we need to be able to create data sets from inside the jail, not just, you know, nullifest mount them or something. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting how well... Uh, ZFS and jails fit together, considering, you know, on one hand, you know, Sun, when they developed ZFS, integrated it with zones, which are kind of like jails, but they're also quite a bit different. And the fact that we've managed to make it line up so well, uh, I find really pleasing. It, it is nice. And I think the the issues that apply for getting a, a, a virtualization aware file system are not unique to zones. They, they simply set up a file system that could be delegated and that, that could have lower level permissions. Well, it's, it's really interesting because you can do both. Yes. You can jail a data set, which is basically delegating it to root in the jail, but then root in the jail can delegate to an individual user in that jail. It really is lovely. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, use cases uh, that you typically don't think about at the beginning, but then you're like, yeah, it's possible, and I can see good uh, good applications for it. Yeah, and, and really, systems administration is about looking at the tools you've got and figuring out how to plug them together to solve a problem. And, and CFS is a great tool. It is. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. Um, that's definitely uh, something we should look at more. And uh, while we're doing that, we should also check out the new uh, pseudo book. Um, switching gears a little bit, um, you did some really evil thing um, during BSD Can's auction this year. Can you like, <laughs> uh, like quickly recap for the listeners who weren't able to uh, get into what, what we uh, did there or what you did there? Okay, well... Uh... I had a new novel come out earlier this year. It's called Terrapin Sky Tango. And I finished the first draft uh, the weekend before BSD Can. Now, the, the BSD Can auction is for charity. And basically, it is an excuse to pry money out of people with well-paying computer jobs. <laughs> e-auction off anything we can get our hands on. 
Uh, one, one of my favorite is the, is the tradition of, launch, of auctioning off the very last cookie from the lunch buffet. That's got slightly out of hand over the last couple of years. <laughs> it has. And we then auction off the second to last cookie. And, and these cookies will go for you know, 40, 50 bucks. Yeah, but, but then the, the lady who runs the catering heard about this a couple of years ago. And then so started making special cookies to be the last cookie. Yes. And, and I bought a cookie that was like a foot and a half wide. It was the last cookie. And, and was it good? It was very good. Oh, good. See, you, you really need to come to BSD Can just for the auction. And we, we auction off a bunch of just weird things because we can. Uh, Peter Hessler donates a promotional pen to the auction every year and buys it back. So this pen has, has raised like several hundred dollars by now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess the other one this year was... Uh... We asked the the breakfast restaurant a lot of people frequent uh, if we could get you know one of their menus or something to auction off, and they're like, "Well, the the menus belong to the franchise, not us. We can't do that." But here, have this ginormous ceramic rooster. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, uh, and someone bought it. Yeah, it's. I helped them carry it to their car. <laughs> yeah, it's about having fun. So. I, and and I finished the first draft of this novel the weekend before uh, BSD can. And so I auctioned, I printed it off and stuck it in an envelope and labeled it mostly complete Terrapin Sky Tango first draft. Because, you know, a first draft, it needs spell checking and whatnot. I couldn't, I could not legitimately call this thing you know, finished and polished. Mm. I, I did a... Uh, the, the auction, uh, Bob Beck finally won that for 200 bucks. And poor Bob is at the auction. Now, the, the auction began at 5 o'clock. Bob's flight out is at 7 p.m. Mm. He is there with, he's got his suitcase and his coat, and he is basically in the sprinting position, ready to run for the door as soon as he wins that auction. I'm, I'm flattered that he stayed around for it. So he wins it. He throws his money down and, and is ready to go. And then Dan pulls out the second envelope that says, Terrapin Sky Tango, last 27 pages. <laughs> because you know, mostly it, it was mostly complete. It was just missing the last 27 pages. Um, you should always read the fine print. And poor Bob was heading out, getting ready to go, and just looked crushed. <laughs> so that was auctioned off separately. And, of course, Christoph Provost won that auction. Uh, yes. So th- this manuscript raised uh, about $300 for the Ottawa mission. Yeah, Bob didn't let it go easily. He There was a bidding war. No, he, he fought for that. <laughs> I bid ten bucks, but was quickly quickly uh, over put over overdone. <laughs> Christoph, uh, in a, a show of good sportsmanship, uh, tucked the the last twenty seven pages under Bob's arm as Bob is heading out for the door. Because really, it it wasn't about you know 
the, the last 27 pages were, were not useful on their own, but an opportunity to be a jerk to Bob, well, that's something hard to pass up. Uh, to be a jerk for Bob in the name of charity. Now, who doesn't like that? That, that style, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so uh, when when I finished the book and it was released, I sent both of them an ebook copy. It's, it's the least I can do. If you pay a hundred bucks, I'll I'll give you an ebook. And then I sent each a print copy when I had print in hand. Mm-hmm. And I signed it and 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 they, they both sent me a note and said said thank you. And about a week later, I sent them another package because I, I prepared a special edition of that book just for the two of them. <laughs> the, the main edition ends 27 pages early. And then I sent them a, a, a second book that's very thin with the, with the last 27 pages. And the cover just says, apply glue here. And I put a sticky note on it that says, oops, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and neither of them actually looked at the print book because they'd already read the ebook. So uh, I'm going to be, I, I made four of those. I'm keeping one. Bob has one. Christoph has another. And we'll be auctioning off the other edition at BSD Can 2020. Uh. As two separate auctions. Of course. They, they can't be done any other way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I'm rather hoping Bob and Christoph bid on them. <laughs> <laughs> That would fit the pattern. It yeah. would. It really would. So that that's my that's my grand triumph of prank for this year. Oh yeah, and only you could do that because you're the author, and we 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 else or the other one couldn't create those cover arts and stuff. Yeah, and and the sad thing is, it's something I can only do once. Mm. And the next time I advertise something as mostly complete. People are going to look at me side-eyed and go, no, no, be more specific here. Yeah, but it reminds me of the uh, couple of years before when there was the uh, the Canadian edition of the uh, ZFS Mastery book. <laughs> Did you ever find the extra footnote in that? No. No? Okay. Just wondering. Keep, keep searching. I'm going to have to find time to look for it more, you know, thoroughly. Well, you know... I think you're the only one who doesn't know. <laughs> That's entirely possible. Yeah. I've said in public what it is. I think Celine knows. Oh. Or at least I told her. Uh, whether she remembered or not, it's, eh, that's not my problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will inquire after the show after this. So, uh, yeah. So that's well played, sir. Uh, so then moving on again. Um, how did you come to the realization that the world was in need of a book about SNMP? Oh, because, because it's everywhere. And I wasn't, none of the existing books thrilled me. And SNMP is really not as hard as you might think. Well, that's what the S is for, right? Yes, yes. And the, and the truth is, the actual protocol is very simple. It 
has seven parts. That's it. The problem is what all of the vendors and implementers have done with those seven parts. And, and no matter how specifically you write the standard, there is always room for interpretation. And then you have organizations that write SNMP code and they consider it a first-class citizen and want to make it work really, really well. And then you have implementers where SNMP is an item on a checklist and they need to get it done in an afternoon. And really, they just want to slam out some code and go get a beer. And they're all sold as SNMP. Really, what we need is, is not a book on how glorious it is, but a book on these are the pieces, here is where we are, and here is how you figure this stuff out. Because when it works, it's fantastic. People use SNMP to monitor all the time. SNMP is well suited for managing networks, even today, uh, in talking to people, in doing the research. There are folks who, say if you have a really saturated internet link, and you need to issue a command to a remote device to solve the problem. A, a two-packet SNMP request has a much better chance of succeeding than a TCP dozens of packets session build up and tear down and exchange of commands and keystrokes to just send a command and say, boom, do this. It is very necessary. Uh, we have SNMP v3, which uh, a lot of people are scared of. And in, in digging into it, really, we're just teaching it backwards. So I, I turned that around, and I'm, I'm fairly happy with that explanation. So it's out there. We have to live with it. Sometimes it is the only solution you have. And I would not suggest that you build your whole network around SNMP. But I would say it's a tool you need to know, whether you're a network admin or a sysadmin. Uh, sometimes... You you need that particular tool or that tool will solve things that are really hard to solve in other ways. And, and there's so much confusion about it, so much loathing, and so many of us figured it out by reading the NetSNMP man page and Cisco docs, and they are they are perfectly fine as references, but they are not tutorials. So uh, so the world hated it and I'm doing, it's kind of like the, like the Pam book. Uh, nobody likes it, but it's a public service. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, it's definitely a tool in my toolbox and I went and very <laughs> not shy to admit that I didn't ever really learn it properly. I just kind of muddled through enough to, to get what I needed out of it. It's like, I just need to, I'm going to. My, measure and graph the network interface of every one of these machines and then mix that data into my load balancing algorithm and be like, hey, if the machine is more than 60% busy, maybe don't give it any more work unless there's no other choice. Yeah. 
And you can discover that information in two packets. And, you know, when, when I want to be doing it, like every 30 seconds, that's a lot nicer than having something much more heavyweight. Not, mind you, I have learned things like you can run SNMP queries over SSH, uh. which um, I'm not covering because the book is already too big. But it is a, it's a possible solution for some sorts of problems. Uh, if you have a certificate authority infrastructure already, you can run SNMP over TLS. Does that still go over UDP, or does it change to TCP in that case? It can use either. Hmm. DTLS is TLS over UDP. Yeah, for datagrams. Yeah. So... Uh, there are, there are a lot of options there, but if I can if I can successfully orient people so they can separate learning the protocol from learning whatever vendor's weird configuration, because of course everybody chose something different. Uh, we we can't have consistency. Uh, if you can. If I can separate those things out for people, it'll be worth it. Okay. Yeah, you touched a little bit on it. Um, but what else have you learned about uh, SNMP during your research phase for the book? Well, um, everything is terrible, but that's not a surprise. Mm. <laughs> Let's see. There's a, a lot of... A lot of people have done interesting things with it. There are agents for MySQL and Postgres and Apache that will plug right into NetSNMP. So you can easily pull statistics from all sorts of software. Um, there, there's extending it, which I was getting into today before you called. You can have SNMP run arbitrary commands on your server, which may or may not be a good thing depending on how complicated you want to be. But, but I've used that successfully in the past for things like um, one of my jobs, we had a, a pair of PF firewalls. When a new application came online, we found that the whole data center was choking. And it turned out that the PF state table had a default maximum of like 10,000 entries. And, and up until then, the state table had, been, had needed like 300 entries. But with this new application, it made a bunch more connections and we had maxed out the state table. So doing things like writing a shell script that just does a pfcatal minus ss and pipe that to word count wc minus l and hey there's a number of states we can have it it's a nice short command that takes no input from the outside world it just returns a number and you can have snmpd run that and drop it into cacti and set alarms and, and all those good things. And graph trends and all kinds of stuff. Oh, yes, yes. 
Of course, the the problem with monitoring things like that is you don't need to you don't know that you need to monitor them until they go horribly wrong. I love system administration. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me of the the saying about debugging software. It's like it's a murder mystery where you're the detective and the murderer and the victim. <laughs> yes, yes. And you, you know, mystery writers have to play fair. If if the murderer, when you find out who the murderer is, they need to appear earlier in the book. You don't get, you know, when, when I write a mystery, I don't get to introduce the murderer in the last chapter. That yeah. That's just not fair. And sysadmins, no, no, that murderer could have been, never heard of that one. As I recall, I didn't even know that PF had a, had a limit on the state table until it bit me. Yeah, people ask me how I learn all these things, and the answer is, they've attacked me. <laughs> yeah, it's like there's a scar for each one of them. Oh, yes, yes. And I, I guess the other thing I found that was was interesting, there are, if you're configured for SNMP, there are commands like SNMP netstat. If you want to know what's going on on a remote machine, you don't have to log in. You you run a command like SNMP netstat or SNMP DF. Spits out that information from the remote machine. That's it's kind of handy. Yeah, because the idea is, you know, sometimes that remote machine is actually an appliance that doesn't give you a shell. Yes. But you still need to be able to tell what network connections does it have open right now. Yep. And sometimes I'm just lazy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you want it in that nice programmatic format rather than just human text. Yeah. And I've, I've learned all sorts of horrible things about traps and access control. And, you know, mm. Things we're better off not knowing, except we have to know them before they bite us. Like you said, you have to introduce the murderer before <laughs> you reveal who committed the murder. Yes. <laughs> Basically, this book is a list of suspects. And sometimes they all did it. That's a good way of putting that. <laughs> they all did it, yes. Yeah. So the M stands for murder. It's a massive conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we've been following along on your your blog a bit, but uh, tell us how, in looking back, since it's basically the, the end of the year now, uh, looking back, how, how did your uh, plan for the year work out? Well, my plan for the year was a face plant. Uh, I had all sorts of things I wanted to do. The uh, Last December, about a year ago now, they, they took out half my thyroid. And all of the mysterious health issues I've had for the past few years cleaned up. And this is great. This is fantastic. It meant I, I could do everything. And I, I had to learn once again the hard way that uh, I, I can do anything, but I can't do everything. I planned to write a bunch more words than I did, uh, but I accepted too many invitations to travel. And, and travel messes me up. Uh, BSD can is effectively a three-week trip for me. I get nothing done preparing for it the week before and the week after I'm so tired that my brain makes about a hundred words an hour. So I've decided to, to do less travel and more books and, and, 
you know, I make words for a living. This is what I've always wanted to do. I'm very lucky to be able to. And I just have to, you know, stand here at my keyboard and do the work. So I, I am planning a couple trips for next year, a couple of workshops, a couple of conferences. Uh, I'll be at BSD Can. I'll be at PenguinCon. Uh, I'm looking, I've, I've promised for years that I would go to Asia BSD Con. So I've, I've submitted a tutorial for next year because mm-hmm. uh, I, I keep my promises and I, I intend to keep that promise and then, then not promise to go anywhere else ever again. There are people who can travel the world easily and I am not one of them. Yeah, it's not for everyone. Uh, no, no. But if, if I'm, I'm hoping that if I show up in Tokyo, dosed out of my mind on antipsychotic tranquilizers so I survive the flight, that some kind person will meet me there and help me reach the university. Because otherwise, I'm going to like wind up as a... a uh, you know, as a dummy at the Hombu Dojo and, you know, get myself smacked up quite a bit. Well, we'll have to check on your travel dates and see what we can arrange for you. In all seriousness, I'll be fine. Yes, I, uh, I remember my first time. It was much nicer to not be alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a big city. And uh, if you have someone you can rely on who has been there before, it's much easier. Ah, you know, it, it's quite easy to understand. Uh but it is even easier if someone points out some of the, the more important bits right away instead of you having to fumble your way through it. That, that would be nice, yes. I got ahead of myself. I bought a ticket already. So did I. Even if they reject me. Same here. I suppose I'm going at this point. Don't tell anyone on the ConCom that because I'd like them to reimburse me for the flight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I... So, yeah, the my, my plan for the year bombed. But... I, I got four books out. I can't really complain. It's more than many people manage. Yeah, yeah. And uh, failing to plan is planning to fail, right? Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes things don't work out this way, but um, so far uh, it looks like you had some uh, successes throughout the year. And now to now to just keep on keeping on. So speaking of that, uh, can you tell us some of the stuff that you're you're planning on for next year? Well, I've, I've got a couple thoughts on tech books. Um, the DNS sec book is due for an update. And with DNS over HTTPS becoming more of a thing, uh, that should probably go in there as well, which uh, I, I'm, for the record, I'm perfectly good with the protocol. I'm simply not good with browser vendors sucking in all the DNS. Especially, you know, now that we're in an age where, you know, most people don't who are using it don't understand this stuff. Y- yes. People aren't making an informed decision to use DOH. Right. It, it's a great immediate solution for people living under censorship regimes. However... Authoritarian and, and and censorship states don't put up with those kind of problems for very long. 
Yeah. And, and I think the, the most dangerous part there is that it's not the whole solution. And so if you depend just on it, you're, you're going to run into problems. Yes. Yes. Quite a few, but I can, I can do a book on how to set these up. I've been looking at power DNS more because they have a DNS dist, a, a DNS specific load balancer that I find intriguing. And I've been I've been toying with oh email could be an interesting book. There, there's really nothing on how to set up a complete email solution these days with all of the you know DKIM and, and anti-spam and all of that. So that that's a possibility. Yeah, doing DKIM wasn't too bad, but the newer DMARC stuff was very confusing to me. Yes, yes. So uh, that, that I think, could rate a book. Although the, the I, I rather think email privacy is mostly lost. Even if you run your own mail server, chances are you are communicating with someone who uses one of the big commercial mail companies. I mean, maybe my email is private, but when I send a mail to Google, they have it. And I'm pretty sure that while I delete email, I'm, I'm guessing that Google never actually really deletes it. And they, they have infinite storage space. So who knows? But it's it's still worthwhile trying to run your own mail server. So that that's a possibility I've been looking at. Yeah, and you know, uh, unless people do, then the the concentration at you know Google, Microsoft, etc. is only going to get worse, not better. So yes, yes, and it can be done. So that that is something I am looking at, and I'm uh, I'm starting to ponder a couple Open BSD things. And, and yes, people are going to flood in. So I, I have no dates for any of this. But anytime I mention you know, writing an OpenBSD book, people jump up and want the next absolute OpenBSD. <laughs> so, so there are no dates. Don't ask me. Um, I'm glad you want it. It will come. I don't know. Uh, what about the sequel to Git Commit Murder? Th- that is on my list. That is one of the things that... Uh, I tried writing it while I was very ill, and I, I had hoped to do that this year, and I did too much traveling. So it, it is definitely on my list, and right now I'm, I'm pushing to get the SNMP book done. The, the nonfiction brings in the money, and I'm, I'm glad I have it. I'm not knocking it. Uh, but I do not have enough novels out to make a living just uh, doing get, get commit books. Yeah, that's uh, still far away. But I guess people still like uh, both the nonfiction and the fiction stuff. Yeah, they both sell. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that people buy anything, really. Uh, I'm, 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 and, and the fact that people sign up for my Patreon and sponsor books... I should probably say that the SNMP book is open for sponsorship for print and ebook. And for if you're a print sponsor, you're going to get something, let's just call it unique. Okay. That, that, 
other people will have access to, but not easily. Uh, and, and I'm not going to say what that is. You'll just have to wait. Okay. <laughs> um, so what me, what, what I always thought about, you know, what you, when you, when you're an author and what would you recommend to an aspiring author who is thinking of writing their first book, what should they do? Self-publishing or go via a publisher? <laughs> okay. That's a tactic. Both of those are tactics. Mm -hmm. You need to think about your strategy first. Okay. What is your goal in writing a book? I know a guy who wrote a book specifically so he could create a licensing program and establish a new standard and set up testing based around his book. Mm. Uh, he was not interested in being a writer. He wanted to do his one book. And the book was a goal along a different path. So that guy needs a trad publisher. Yeah, classic. Yeah, yeah. He needs, he needs to outsource his book to someone else. Now, uh, someone like me, my goal is to be a pulp. Basically, I'm a pulp writer. Um, my my technology books are the the nerdy equivalent of you know Dashiell Hammett. You read and forget. Uh, they're short, and I, I try to do a lot of them. So that's a, a clear case for self publishing. the The answer to that question is really: What are your goals? What are you trying to do? And I, I use both. Yeah. Well, there's the question of whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. Yep. Well. Well, for the fiction, ah, it is my personal bias that fiction should be self-published. Mm -hmm. Because when you sign a contract today with one of the big publishers, they take all rights for the life of the copyright, which is 70 years past the author's death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a bit too, um, too long. Yeah. And, and writer, we... Writers do not sell books. We create and license intellectual property. In that aspect, it's no different than software. Uh, but the, the value of any piece of our property is much less than in software. Uh, but it also lasts longer. And the, the intellectual property for all... Uh, Windows 3.1. I don't want to say it's worthless, and there are people who need that, but it's not what the software industry would consider a big money item right now. Yeah, it's like if you look at a lot of older software, we've seen some of it to just eventually become open source because it's it's not especially valuable IP anymore. But you don't really see that with a book. No, you know, especially fiction. It's like it's still. Perfectly good fiction, even later. Mm. Yep. If you read a murder mystery from 1995 in the day of Windows 95, you just have to remember they didn't have cell phones then. Yeah. It's amazing how many old books suddenly lose their plot if you add cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The, the thrill is gone. The thrill is gone. Oh, I, I don't have to race home. I'm just going to call them. <laughs> Hey, watch out. There's a murderer in your closet. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, okay. So maybe one of our listeners has been pondering this idea and now has a better understanding what this yeah. involves. Yeah. Yeah. Figure out your goals first and then the means to achieve that goal. And, and of course, if anyone is listening to this and they've decided on trad publishing for whatever reason, that's fine. You are responsible for your own career. This is a topic that causes knife fights in, in the formerly serene literary circles. You do you. Well, uh, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about before we get you back to work? I will be so happy when I'm finished with SNMP. I mean, I'm, I'm going to squee. I really am. And, and I, I should say thank you to all the people who buy the books, uh, who find the books helpful, who, who back me on Patreon or sponsor or anything. Uh, I, I appreciate all of you. And if you've managed to listen to this interview and me babble on this long, thank you very much. Yeah, so we have to thank you, Michael, for your uh, continued, uh, you know, writing sprees and the, the books you put out and, uh, yeah, this interview and uh, all the things around it. So um, happy holidays from us and, uh, yeah, all the best for 2020. And same to you. So we hope you liked this interview with Michael W. Lucas and uh, got some interesting insights into what he's up to. And yeah, uh, let us know how you liked it on the usual social media channels or directly to feedback at bsdnow.tv. You know, we're approaching the end of the year now. So if you have any ideas about what you would like to see on the show in the future or how you'd like uh, us to do better in 2020, we'd love your feedback to feedback at bsdnow.tv. Yes, uh, whether it's small news or show ideas, topics or... Um, whatever comes into your mind as, as we wrap up the year. There's another episode coming still, but uh, maybe you have some uh, brightly shining idea that we should uh, consider. Send this to us and uh, we'll get back to you. Or if you have a question to us, definitely send this to uh, our usual address. Then we have more for feedback and question sections in future episodes. Yeah, uh, like uh, um, Bennett was saying, uh, don't worry, BSD Now will still happen every single week including the fact that uh, the next two episodes would happen to fall on Christmas and New Year's. Uh, we will be pre-recording those, of course, rather than interrupting the holidays. Uh, but there will be a new episode every single week, just like we've done for the last 330 weeks in a row. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've never let you down and we're not going to stare. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next time.